Today's reading is from 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1-3. through 3. Hear the words of God. In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel with him. They ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David rose from his couch and was walking about on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. David sent someone to inquire about the woman. It was reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Mark. Well, friends, have you ever been distracted before? What about when you're in the middle of something? Have you ever been distracted before? Something catches your attention, a little glimmer. A couple days ago, I was driving. Text message came up on my phone. Listen, I didn't break the law. I didn't read it until I got where I was going, but I was distracted because it caught my attention. Another day, I was on 95. You can get distracted on 95, can't you? The continual construction that is always going on, always at play. Well, I missed my exit because I was distracted and I had to drive another five miles down the road in order to exit and then turn back around and get to where I was going. I veered from the path because I was distracted. What about important things like pursuing your lifelong goals and dreams only to be distracted. Squirrel? (laughs) How about something deeper, like holding on to what you value, what you know to be important because they have formed you, those values, those things that have formed you and they have guided you as well as those who have gone on before you. For the past three weeks, we've been in this sermon series titled Imperfect, and together we have been looking at relationships of of different families in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, and we've been looking at different biblical characters, especially in the Old Testament, and how they are imperfect, and what is going on in their lives is quite imperfect as well. Yet, even with those imperfections, God still chooses them. God still transforms them and their lives in unimaginable ways. My friends, the same is true for us. Even in our brokenness and even with our imperfections, God brings about redemption and perfection and healing and wholeness to our stories and to our lives. That's good news. Amen? The sermon's over. We can go home. Okay. Will you pray with me? Holy and living God, we give you all the praise and and honor and glory this morning. And throughout our lives, we seek to worship you and serve you in all that we say and all that we do. God, may we come to this time and may we be forever changed. May we have open hearts and open minds and open spirits to what you are saying to us in this scripture. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together Be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, because God, you are our rock, our refuge, our redeemer, our strength, and our savior. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. 
Hmm. When I was in elementary school, I was often picked up or uh, stopped, picked up from the bus stop by one of our neighbors, and uh, her name was Miss Ruby, a 95-year-old lady who would pick me up from the bus stop and walk me back to her house uh, until my mom got off of work every day. And Ms. Ruby and I had this great relationship and this great understanding that I would try to take a nap after school while she watched her programs, right? Her soap operas. You've called it before, right? Uh, Gotta watch my programs. (laughs) Ms. Ruby and I had this understanding that she would provide the snacks, the good snacks, like Cheetos and Chips Ahoy cookies. Mm. Which, by the way, I still have not received my grandmother's cookies. I just want you to know that. For those of you who weren't here a couple weeks ago, go back and watch two weeks ago. Uh, cookies. But thank you to those of you who provided for me. It's, it's great. It's a real blessing. We had this understanding that she would provide the snacks, the good ones, the Cheetos that I really wanted, and the Chips Ahoy cookies, and that I would try to take a nap, okay? And so every day at the appointed time of 12.58, after I was done having snack time, it was now time to take a nap. And so I would start, and I would lay on her couch, and she would get ready to watch one of her soaps. Usually by the first commercial break, I was asleep on her couch, but there were some times that I just couldn't fall asleep. You know, I was in elementary school. And so I became glued to the television screen watching a TV show about anything but soap. There was drama, there was divorce, there was marriages, there was violence, there was romance, there were long-lost family members coming back into the fold, there were people raising from the dead, there were relationship issues, there was promiscuous behavior, there was criminal activity, all taking place in one little town. Listen. All my children, they're still on the air, right? Not not all my children anymore, but soap operas are still on the air. I thought to myself, being in elementary school age, this isn't how real life really is. People don't act like this. It couldn't be real. It couldn't be how life really was. It seemed like these soap operas were too far out in the distance. But really they aren't. Scene after scene filled with imperfect people and imperfect storylines and imperfect relationships and imperfect lives. Today we venture into the imperfect life of David. And at first take we think of David as a young shepherd boy, right? Or if you listen to the song Hallelujah by David Cohen, he's the one who played a secret chord that pleased the Lord, right? Maybe when you think of David, you think of the one who killed Goliath with just a sling and a few stones. You might remember David as the king, the great king in all of Israelite history. Or you might remember David, as the scripture says, as a man after God's own heart. David was the 14th generation from Abraham, and Abraham's blessing, Abraham's covenant with God, you might remember this from a couple weeks ago, was like, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. I will make you a fruitful nation. I will make you the father of many nations. Kings shall come from you, God says to Abraham. Kings shall come from you. I will be your God, and they will be my people. 
Well, this is the king. This is the king that came from Abraham's lineage. And David was the epitome of what a king was like. What a king should act like. What the king should look like. David was moving Israel from being a ragtag group of nomads to a powerful nation, lifting them up with an effective military. He was successful politically and economically and militarily, which is a word, and I looked it up. I just want you to know, militarily. Throughout the scriptures, David is revered as this great figure. Sixty-four chapters in the Old Testament are all about David. And there are also 75 psalms, fully one half, there's 150 psalms, okay? Fully one half of the psalms were either written by David, about David, or dedicated to him. David is revered, yet even well-admired figures such as King David have imperfections. However, God still chooses them and takes on their ordinary and imperfect, broken lives and transforms them in unimaginable ways. That's good news. Amen? Amen. Today we find ourselves, and I want you to break out your Bible if you brought it with you, or you can look it up on the Bible app on your phone. 2 Samuel chapter 11. And in this short glimpse of the story about King David, we find out quickly, is this his best moment or is this his worst? It's not his finest moment. We'll just go with that. It's not his finest moment. And this was an imperfect scenario that David finds himself in. That's part of his own creation. David made these choices that led him to this current situation. And sometimes we too make choices that lead us deeper into imperfection, deeper into brokenness. There are consequences to our actions. And in those consequences... We feel like we're separated from God. We feel like we're separated from others. But this story is about what God does when those who experience great and tremendous guilt and shame turn to Him. That means there's hope. Amen? Amen. These stories of David were passed down from generation to generation to teach about life and about morals and about God's relationship with humanity, about David, how God had lifted David up, and that well-respected leaders are imperfect and broken, and they, though, are not outside of the consequences and decisions that they make, but nevertheless, they are revered figures, and they are not even outside of God's redeeming, God's perfecting, and God's healing. Amen? That's good. Our scripture begins with saying, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab, one of his officers, and all of Israel with him. And they ravaged the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. In the winter months, the kings and the high-ranking officers of the military would sit down and they would develop plans for their kingdom and who they were going to ravage, who they were going to besiege, and who they were going to fight. And they would be all at the leadership of their king. This is the way that it was in the lifetime of King David. But as our scripture passage says, it was springtime. The Israelite armies had gone out, they had gone to battle, but David stayed at home in the palace. This was not like David, because in times before he was a wonderful, heroic, successful leader, a successful king. This was unlike David staying home while his armies went out and fought their battles. Something had changed in David. 
As one commentator puts it, sometimes when we reach the peak of success, we forget how we got there. We forget and we think that we can do what we want and we don't have to bear the consequences or repercussions from the, re- from the decisions that we made. And we think that we can let others bear those things for us. Scripture continues in saying, It happened late one afternoon while David rose up from his couch and he was walking about on the roof of the king's house and then he saw a woman bathing and the woman was beautiful. David is at home. He sees a woman because he's walking around on his rooftop and he sees a woman bathing and we'll later find out that her name is Bathsheba. David's walking around and he's captivated by her. He's distracted by her. And Bathsheba, she's just trying to take a bath. Captivated by her, distracted by her. David does not do an appropriate reaction. David should have said, oh, oh, whoa, 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 I shouldn't look at that anymore. Whoops, and then he looks the other way. But David kept looking. Something is not right with David. Next, David sent someone to inquire about the woman, and it was reported that this is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And so David sent messengers to get her, and she came to him, and he laid with her, and then she returned to the house. David sent someone to inquire about her, about this woman. He finds out it's Bathsheba, the wife of someone else. And again, the appropriate response would have been, okay, that's it. I'm not pursuing this any farther. I'll I'll just go and be with one of the wives that I'm already married with. It's someone else's wife. Uriah's wife. Uriah is one that is on the front lines of the battle fighting for David, this king. And David does what powerful people often do. They look and they like what they see, so then they often take it. King David is the most powerful man in the land and he lusts after this young woman Bathsheba, the wife of a soldier in his army nonetheless. He takes her, he's committing adultery with her and overpowering her. Did Bathsheba have a choice? Many would call say no. Many would call this rape. Because could she really say, I'm not going with the messengers? Probably not. Because it's the king. David was a man after God's own heart. A feared king, a feared warrior, and he comes into temptation and he gives in. He leans into his own desires and his own imperfections and his own brokenness and his own distractions. And David is in this situation because he has made this place a deserted wasteland for his life, all brought about by his own doing. Have you been there before? A time when you made a decision and you knew it was wrong when you did it. And then you found yourself in a place where you were broken. A place that was messed up. A place that was imperfect. When there was nothing but pain. And often we stray from the path and we find that pain and we try to mask it. We try to mask it with another bad decision on top of another bad decision. And David is on the cusp of this place, but he doesn't know it yet. After David sleeps with Bathsheba, she goes back to her house and about a month later, Bathsheba comes back and she says, David, I'm pregnant. And David finds himself in a mess of trouble. What am I going to do? How am I going to solve this problem? How am I going to get rid of this mess that I have found myself in? 
And so in order to cover up his crime and his shame and his guilt and the harm that he did, David sends a message to his commander in the army, Joab, and he says, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Uriah comes back to battle and he tells David all about what's going on on the front lines, how they have revered against this, how have they, how have they continued to go forth and besiege and, and ravage these different armies throughout the land. And David has enough with this small talk. And he says, go, Uriah, go to your house. You've been a great warrior for me. Go to your house, eat, drink, and be merry, and go and lay with your wife. But Uriah doesn't go. He stays outside of the sleeping quarters, outside of the king's house. And the next day, David finds out Uriah didn't go. And he asks Uriah, why didn't you go? And Uriah says this, I can't go. I can't go down to my house and eat and drink and lay with my wife. I can't do that while Joab and my other comrades are still off fighting. So David concocts another plan, plan B. He invites Uriah to go back to the palace. I'm going to get you drunk. Scripture. It's like a soap opera, but it's messy. David's life is messy. Yes, this is going to do it, David thinks. This time, Uriah will go back to his house, but no, Uriah is faithful to his fellow officers, faithful to what he's supposed to do, and he only makes things worse by David concocting this plan B. He stays outside. Uriah stays outside of the king's palace yet again. He abstains from going home and staying with his wife. When you find yourself in a situation brought about by your own doing and straying from the path of sorts, leaning into our own imperfections, our own brokenness, things can get messy and even more imperfect. We begin to not think straight. We try to desperately cover up our bad decisions to fix our own problems only to make things worse. And this is what David does. David writes a note to Joab, the commander of his army, and it's sent back to Joab by the way of Uriah. The note says, take Uriah and send him out to the front lines and then draw back so that he might be struck down and die. Uriah has no idea. No idea what the note says. And in his return to Joab, he delivers his own death sentence. After receiving word that Uriah had been killed, David was unfazed, yet Bathsheba immersed herself in great mourning for her husband. David then, by following that, he takes Bathsheba in to be one of his wives and raise up that child that she is pregnant with, raise it up as his own. In just one chapter of David, I told you there's 64, but in one chapter there is adultery, there is murder, there is stealing, there is coveting. King David breaks four of the Ten Commandments. And he breaks another one as well. The first, have no other gods before me. David puts his own desires before God. Everyone in the kingdom thought that he was doing a great thing, that the cover-up was working. How wonderful and kind of a king to take in Bathsheba, the, the wife of one of his fellow officers and fellow soldiers and servants that had just been struck down and died. How wonderful of the king to do that and take in that child as his own. But David's court prophet Nathan sees between the lines. 
In 2 Samuel, God sends the prophet Nathan to confront David. Thus says the Lord, it says to David, I anointed you king over all of Israel. I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. If that would have been too little, I would have added much, much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and you have taken his wife to be your wife. And here you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Finally, for the first time, David is broken. He's called out by Nathan. He's convicted by Nathan. And he recognizes his own sinfulness. And cries out, I have sinned before the Lord. David hits rock bottom. And sometimes the light of the truth of the gospel shines so brightly in our lives that it makes us uncomfortable by its radiance and its piercing of our flawedness. We want the light of the gospel to stop shining on us and who we really are, far away from God, often more interested in our own agenda, more interested in our own life rather than the life that God offers. David is lifted up as a great king, a warrior, A man after God's own heart. Yet he's also imperfect. An adulterer. A stealer. A coveter. A murderer. Even in the most imperfect moments. Even in the most broken and darkest situations of life. No one is outside of God's redeeming. Amen? No one is outside of God's mending. No one is outside of God's perfecting. No one is outside of God's love. God is a God of second chances. That's good news. Amen? After Nathan had pronounced judgment on David, David cried out, Not only, God, forgive me, because I have sinned against you, but he also spoke this prayer from Psalm 51, and we're going to show it on the screen. Have mercy on me, God, according to your steadfast and faithful love. Wipe away my wrongdoings according to your great compassion. Wash me completely clean of my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Because I know my wrongdoings, my sin is always right in front of me. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away all of my guilty deeds. Create in me and my heart. Create a clean heart for me, God. Put a new faithful spirit deep inside me. Please don't throw me out of your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Return the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach wrongdoers your ways and sinners will come back to you. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will proclaim your praise. In moments when we are broken and we feel our own brokenness and we're overwhelmed, and when those moments come that we feel our own sin and those imperfections of life and we're grappling with the standards and the ideals of trying to be perfect time and time again, when we get agitated, when things don't end up our own way in the way that we have envisioned it, we can pray this psalm as a prayer. Create in me, restore in me, cleanse my heart, O God. Is there any hope for David? Is there any hope for us? The answer that Scripture gives time and time again is that there is always hope. Amen? Always hope. 
Even in the darkest, messiest, most imperfect situations, there's always what? Hope. Because our God is a God of second chances. Amen? I want to end by saying this and tell you this story. Near the end of World War II, there was a ship that spotted a light off into the distance. And the ship's captain tried to reach out time and time again to this ship that was off into the distance. And finally he shouted into the radio, Turn 10 degrees south because this is an aircraft carrier. And immediately in response came a voice over the radio that said, Turn 10 degrees north. This is a lighthouse. Sometimes we need a never-failing beacon to help us along the way home. Amen? My friends, the gospel truth is this, is that God meets you wherever you are at. God is a God of second chances, and God takes those imperfections, the harm that we do to ourselves and the harm that we do to others, and allows us the opportunity to find forgiveness, to find love, to find restoration, to find healing, even in the midst of that current situation. And that's good news. Amen. Amen. We're going to put this psalm, Psalm 51. I want you to write that down. Psalm 51, or uh, it might be on the digital bulletin. But we're going to pray this together. We're going to say it line by line together. And then we will uh, close in our pastoral prayer. Uh, But as we pray and speak this psalm, I want to invite you, whatever is on your heart, whatever is on your mind this morning, whatever you need to give to God, Do that this morning. Let's say it together. Have mercy on me, God, according to your faithful love. Wipe away my wrongdoings according to your great compassion. Wash me completely clean of my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Because I know my wrongdoings. My sin is always right in front of me. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away all my guilty deeds. Clean clean heart for me, God. Put a new faithful spirit deep inside. Please don't throw me out of your presence. Please don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Return the joy of your salvation to me. And sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach wrongdoers your ways. Sinners will come back to you. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will proclaim your praise.